for no other reason than I loved him. Today's episode is dedicated to Norm MacDonald. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Non-Believer Bible Club. Episode 7. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. I am not resting. I'm making this episode. And like the other episodes, it's going to be a doozy. But first, let's take a closer look at some things that we covered last week. If you remember... Abraham gets a little antsy and decides that he's going to have a son by any means. He and Sarai agree he should have sex with Sarai's maidservant, Hagar. This shows that Abraham is not able to think ahead. Immediately upon her conceiving, the women fight and Hagar is abused and sent away by Sarai. While she's in the wilderness, she comes upon a well where an angel of God, or some say God himself, or herself, or itself, comes to Hagar, sees her plight, and encourages her to return, informing her that she is pregnant with a son, whom she shall name Ishmael. Now this is where I wanted to do more research. The angel of God makes a prediction about the life of Ishmael. Genesis 16.12 And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. What does this mean that he will be a wild man? And why is his hand against everyone? The answer is very interesting, and as is becoming a pattern with the explanations that I find and the research that I do, there are people on both sides who say, this is definitely the reason why this happened, or... This is definitely not the reason why this happened. Why would anybody say that? They're wrong. So with a grain of salt or a grain of sand, let's examine some interpretations of the life of Ishmael. Ishmael's name comes from biblical Hebrew, literally translating to God hears, because God heard the plight of his mother Hagar. Now here's where it gets interesting. Ishmael is a very important figure in the religion of Islam. There are tafsir, which are exegetical documents of the Quran, and the hadith, which consist of reports which are believed to be the genuine sayings or actions of Muhammad. These sources seem to encourage the idea that Abraham's line is connected to the line that would produce Muhammad by means of his son Ishmael. This is an old idea dating back to the first century with the Antiquities of the Jews, an immense work by the Jewish historian Titus Flavius Josephus, in which he proclaims that Ishmael is the founder of the Arab people. So through these different sources, referring to people whom historians today regard as mythological at best, an idea grows where the people that Ishmael fathers, the Ishmaelites, eventually become the Arab people, a race of people who will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. The Ishmaelites are the brethren of the Israelites, the sons of Isaac. Ishmael is a wild man because he is driven out originally with his mother Hagar 
and he grows up in the wilderness. In other translations, Ishmael is described as, quote, and he shall be as a wild ass among men. Sounds silly, but there's something kind of profound about it. Some people take the ass to be specifically the Syrian wild ass. This is an animal. This is just the name of the animal. The Syrian wild ass was a kind of onager, which is a species of the horse family native to Asia. The Syrian wild ass was very much like a donkey, but they were compared to thoroughbred horses for their strength and their beauty. They would outrun any horse that chased them, and this was their most distinctive characteristic. They were untamable, impossible to be domesticated, and they never would be domesticated. The Syrian wild ass is now extinct. He will be as a wild ass among men. His hand shall be against every man. Ishmael's mother, Hagar, was an Egyptian slave, while her son will fight. Her son will know freedom. Isaac is God's chosen one, but Ishmael may never be conquered. He is also a son of Abraham, and God has promised to multiply him greatly as well. One last note I found interesting about Ishmael. Those who are familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac know that at some point God will tell Abraham to sacrifice his son. In the Quran, the son is unnamed. So, traditional Muslim thought is that Ishmael is that son. This is fascinating because with this, the descendants of Ishmael become the chosen people of God. Another fascinating aspect of this story is that Ishmael is made aware of the fact that God may ask Abraham to sacrifice him. He accepts his sacrifice and tells his father that should God command it, he would willingly be sacrificed. For this, Muslims revere Ishmael because he displays the central tenet of Islam, which is to bend to the will of God. In fact, Islam means submission or surrender to the will of Allah. I stated before that Judaism and Islam both reject the idea of Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of mankind. So now we see another difference. Christianity and Judaism reject the notion that Ishmael is the chosen son of Abraham. They believe that it was Isaac. It's funny, our little differences. It is interesting to see where these three religions converge and diverge. But that's enough religion hopping for today. Let me get back to doing what I do best, making jokes while reading the King James Bible. Joineth me again, my friends, as we continue with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Ooh, man. Okay, first verse of today's reading. And Abraham is calling God out on something that he has done time and time again. Although this is really God's fault because he asked Abraham his opinion. So now for the first time in this book, we're getting a mortal man's opinion of God and God's reaction. Peradventure, which is another way of saying, let's say, peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place? 
for the fifty righteous that are therein, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Dude, I love this. <laughs> Abraham gives him like a hypothetical number and God's like, okay, I'll play this game. And Abraham answered and said, behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Okay, Abraham knows his place. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it, if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I know I'm testing your patience, and I will speak yet, but this once, peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communicating with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Okay, two things before we continue. One, first ever collab between God and one of his creations, as Abraham says of himself, but dust and ashes. Very cool. And secondly, the result. God is not concerned with size, if it be 30 or 40 or whatever. Good is good and bad is bad. If it can be unequivocally proven that there's a little bit of mankind that's worthy of being saved. God will not slay the righteous with the unrighteous, as he has done before. Although, finding the best of humanity and sparing them is also something that God has done. In this way, I guess we could say that Abraham's influence isn't quite as big as we think, but God is still allowing man to be part of the process. I think that's cool. Chapter 19. Lot entertains two angels. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast 
and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Ooh, that we may know them. They want to have sex with the angels. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Woe. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Wow. Bro, stand by your women. (laughs) Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now, Will we deal worse with thee than with them? Oh, they're going to have sex with him too. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Wow. The angels have stricken the angry rape mob blind. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? (laughs) Son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one who mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, The men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, and set him without the city. Angels flew him out of there. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O, not so, my lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shewed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. O, let me escape thither, Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city, 
for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither. Escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou be come thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. All right, it's killing time. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Furnace imagery is back. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. When he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt, Okay, so Lot is okay with a mob of people raping his virgin daughters as long as they don't have sex with the angels. I said this in a previous episode, but I think this God is pretty fair. He's like, I, I just, I need to kill, I need to kill everybody. Abraham's like, no, they're mostly decent. Like, see, look at this guy. <laughs> so the mark of decency is that Lot won't immediately try to rape God's angels. And then the other thing, Lot's wife gets got while they're fleeing Sodom. In Greek mythology, there's a story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Eurydice dies and Orpheus, a musician, goes down to Hades and makes a deal with Hades, the god of death. If he's able to leave Hades with the soul of Eurydice, his love, without looking at her, then she will be reunited with him once he leaves. He makes it barely feet away from the surface. He loses his faith, and he has to look behind to see if Eurydice is actually there. She had been, and she falls, trapped in Hades forever. Because he looked behind. He couldn't just keep his head forward. Now that makes sense to me. That's what makes it tragic. That's what makes it a good story. Now Lot's wife. They're just running away. For Orpheus, it's a test of his will. Does he love his love enough to have faith in the gods? His will is strong, but fear overtakes him. Now, what did Lot's wife do? Okay, this is interesting. This just shows you that you can't look at this from a straightforward perspective. Here's like 11 different reasons why in the Jewish commentaries, they say Lot's wife was turned into salt. So the basic one, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt because she ignored the warning of the angels and then had to be punished. But in looking back at the city, it could be interpreted that she misses that way of life. She's homesick 
for all the uh, sodomy. It's one of Sodom's main exports, sodomy. Another interpretation is a little more damning. Apparently angry that Lot had invited strangers in, asking her to give them salt. Instead, she goes around the neighborhood asking for salt, asking everybody for salt. She's alerted them that there's somebody new in town that needs a little raping. So she is turned into a pillar of salt as a kind of karmic justice for selling out the angels. And yet one more, I think the most obvious one, is that she simply looked back and saw the awesome power of God, which is too much for a mere mortal to comprehend. So as the city is destroyed with divine fire, just looking at it is enough to really ruin her day. One more note before we continue. The biblical meaning of Zawar is small or insignificant. When Lot asks God, Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. But let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? So it is a little one. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. But wait, he asked God, I would rather not go to the mountain. Let me go to Zoar. He goes to Zoar. He changes his mind. He's like, nah, the mountain's better. I mean, this is the guy who had anywhere to go, and he decided to live in Sodom. So I guess the theme seems to be Lot is bad at making good decisions. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. No! It's happening again! Here's my question. Why is it that everybody except for Abram is super into incest? It seems to be, it's like it happens by accident almost. (laughs) The people who are like at least decent people will just like slip into it. Whoops. Sorry, dad. Hey guys, check out dad in his tent. Ugh. Ham. Ham is back in full force. And they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Oh no, he perceived not. So at this point he's drunk. So this is just rape at this point. I don't know. Can you blame the daughters though? Like he raised them in Sodom. It's like, this is what? This is what they learned, man. You needed to take your daughter somewhere else. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in, and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. 
And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. Man, that's pretty unequivocally bad. Like, they planned the whole thing. They talked to each other about it. They were halfway through. She's like, dude, coast is clear. Dude, you go in. Go and preserve that seed. Okay, let me try to understand this from their perspective, though. At the same time, I do have to appreciate. She says, Genesis 19.31, And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. So they believe, they literally think it's like the apocalypse. They believe that everybody on the earth has been destroyed. Sodom and Gomorrah were the world to them. So they think it's the end of the world. And they're like, dude, dad is old. We're going to be the last humans. We have to, yeah. I mean, they came up with an interesting solution. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. This is the father. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. Ah, they got me again. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami. The same is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. See, this is what happened with Ham. Ham is the father of the Girgashites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites. The Hamamites. So guess who we don't like? We don't like the children of Ammon. We don't like the Moabites. So let's just say they had sex with their dad. Let's go take them over. Maybe that's the real source of all this incest. It's just so that people can have land rights. I mean, maybe that's too general or uninformed, but I'll stop believing it when it stops coming up. All right, moving on from Ham part two. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Dude, I was just speaking up for you, man. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This is Egypt. This is Egypt again. He's pretending that she's his sister so they don't kill him. Man, Abraham just got a stick in one place. Even this old Sarah must be a babe because everyone kidnaps her wherever they go. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Oh my God. God's like, this is the, this is the one guy where I got it right. Don't mess this up for me. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will thou slay also a righteous nation? Man, everybody's getting real uppity. Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands. Have I done this? And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou did this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. 
Therefore, suffered I thee not to touch her. I had to read this a couple of times. This is a very interesting development. God is reproving him in the dream for what he has done while he's acknowledging that he knows it's not his fault. Let's keep that in mind for now. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? This is almost a word for word what happened in Egypt. I wonder if this is a, one of the groups of writers. This is where the draft started to overlap. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And then Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Honestly, great question. And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. There it is. He took it upon himself to put the fear of God in Abimelech's kingdom. And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Whoa. <laughs> okay, plot twist. This is not Ham Part 2. It's Ham Part 3. See, the rules of the trilogy is the first one establishes the rules. The second one bends the rules. And the third one breaks the rules. Sarah is Abraham's sister. She's been his sister this whole time and his wife. She's his half-sister. Ah, damn. They got me again. These, These plot twists are incredible. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house because I was 80 and I needed to get out of my dad's house that I said unto her, this is thy kindness which thou shalt shew unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. So it's like their thing. Okay. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. Let's break that up a little bit. Unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. So, he's given Abraham money to say, I did not have sex with your wife. That is the covering of the eyes unto all that are with them. That is the 
evidence that her nakedness has not been uncovered. We're talking about covering and uncovering. Her nakedness has been covered. He has not known her. Thus was she reproved. He is not happy with her, and he is not happy with Abraham. Clearly, it seems Abraham has insinuated himself into this situation, knowing what would happen in order to put the fear of God into the people of Abimelech's kingdom. And he's not having it. And it sounds like God isn't quite having it either. He knows that Abraham's kind of going around and steezing a little bit, throwing God's name around. And Abimelech doesn't call Abraham her husband. He says, thy brother. It's like he's rubbing her face in it. The lie. So, Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, let's stop here and talk. This reading was a roller coaster of bad decisions. The more context I get for who these ancient people, these ancient individuals were in the Old Testament, the more and more merciful God seems to be. There's some seriously mixed morals going on here. Lot offering his daughters to the mob while still being righteous enough to not rape the angels. Lot's daughters deciding to conceive with their father against his will without his knowledge. And Abraham taking the Lord's work into his own hands and deciding who needs to feel the fear of God. I'm going to say we've taken officially a step backward from the direction where we were going. Abraham is the man God has made his covenant with. But as we see in this story, Abraham's people still suffer from the same proclivity towards sin, even in, or I should say, especially in the situations where they seem to believe that they're making the best possible decision. Lot doesn't want the messengers of God to be harmed by the mob. Lot's daughters believe they're in an apocalypse situation and they need to fulfill their duties. Abraham wants to put the fear of God into the hearts of the people around him. Everybody messes up. Everybody's wrong this time. That's why I find God's direct engagements with man so fascinating. He asks for Abraham's input when he tells him he will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He has a personal conversation in a dream with King Abimelech, and Abimelech is able to plead his case. Even more surprising, God is understanding of the situation. Although God could easily fire and brimstone, fiery furnace everybody, Sodom and Gomorrah everybody to death, he takes a different approach at this time. He does not allow them to bear children, which we don't know until Genesis 20, 17. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bear children. He said, Thou shalt surely die, and everybody that you know. What he meant was, your line will end because you can have no children. What I think is cool about this, well, not cool, but okay, yeah, 
cool is that God uses different techniques for different situations. Abimelech doesn't seem to be a bad guy. In chapter 20, verse 4, Abimelech says, Lord, will thou slay also a righteous nation? So he's heard about Sodom and Gomorrah, definitely. So the fear of God is in him. Abe, Abraham was wrong this time. I'd even go so far as to say that the fear of God isn't in Abraham. He knows that if he's accosted in some kingdom where somebody's taken a liking to his wife, God is going to have his back and send a pestilence or infertility. He's basically God's golden boy, and he knows it. It sounds like what Abraham is going to need is a test of some kind. Maybe a a sacrifice of some kind. Something to truly test his faith. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. That's going to be next week. Until then, as always, thank you for listening to the Non-Believer Bible Club. Keep calm and Norm MacDonald on. Yeah.